You're listening to the Recover Dish Podcast. I'm your host, licensed therapist, Amanda E. White. Hi, everyone. So I'm coming to you from the day that I just announced my podcast release on June 8th. And I am feeling super nervous about releasing it. And I was talking to my husband and talking about how I'm feeling. And he told me that he thought this would be a good podcast episode. So instead of talking to him, I'm talking to you. And I'm going to share a little bit about this process and walk through what it's like to put yourself out there and vulnerability and showing up anyway. I think this is such an important conversation for so many of us because we let our feeling of being ready hold us back from taking action. We think that we need to feel ready to take action, that there will be this innate knowingness inside of us that leads us to be able to take the next step. And the truth is for most of us, we're never going to feel ready. And even more than that, I would say that the closer you get to taking action, the less ready you feel, which is absolutely where I am right now. I've had this plan to launch this podcast for over a year now. I think it's been a year and a half, to be honest. Um, I got pregnant and was super, super sick for nine months and then gave birth and was on maternity leave. So it was, you know, rightfully pushed back. But I think because I've had this plan to do it, it has like put the pressure or it's felt, you know, I've not procrastinated because I had reasons for not launching it. And one thing that I really, really care about is being consistent. When I say I'm going to do something, it's really important for me to show up and do it. So I didn't want to launch the podcast before I knew I could allocate the proper amount of time to it and, um, you know, just show up consistently. So that, um, yeah, so it's been a while. And sometimes I think the longer you wait to do something, the more intense it feels. And it's much easier to have an idea in your head of what something will be like, right? I've been keeping notes in my phone of different podcast ideas for a really long time. And then once you actually start doing it, sometimes, I mean, I think two things can happen. For me, once I decide I'm going to do something, ideas do tend to flow. And I think that's really interesting about creativity. I don't know if this will be interesting to anyone else. But I remember when I was writing my book, I had no idea what I would ever write a book about in terms of like a sober book. And then I um, was offered a book deal and I did not take that book deal. I ended up getting an agent and doing a, going through the formal book proposal process. And then you you write a book proposal and you pitch it to other um, book companies, um, publishers, and then you see. But anyway, what I went from having no idea to when someone offered me a book, I had tons of ideas. I was very opinionated about what I wanted to write about. 
And the original book that someone had asked me to write, I did not want to write that book because I had my own ideas of what I wanted to write. And it was really cool to just kind of watch the creative process happen where you go from not having any ideas to one idea leads to another idea and taking a little bit of action leads to more action, which leads to new ideas. And I learned something so valuable throughout that whole process. The book writing process is a very long process. You typically write your book for six, nine months and then it takes longer to get it published and that's not including the book proposal process. So it's very strange because you write the book and then it's out. It's not out for a really long time. But anyway, it's so it, it really, really taught me that taking a little bit of action really leads to more ideas and leads to action being easier, which I wholeheartedly agree with. I think my big caveat with that is that then though, I think once it – if you're doing it just for yourself, that happens. But I think when you – then announce something or you put it out to the world or you take another step that is very um, clear. It's very signifying. There's no going back. Like for me today, announcing the podcast, I can literally feel, you know, when you sweat and it like drips. I don't know if anyone relates to this, but I, when I'm nervous, I sweat so much that I will get this long drip of sweat that goes all the way down to my rib cage. So I just felt that. Anyway, I think that when you do that, it's so – all of your fears tend to come up, right? So I had thought – I had had all these grand ideas, all this excitement about this podcast, and then I announced it today, and I was supposed to record a podcast today, and all of my ideas went out the window, and I became very paralyzed because I want it to be great and it's been built up so much in my head. I feel like I'm going to let myself down or let you all down if it doesn't come out the way I want. It's really not for me about whether this is super popular or brings in money or or really anything like that. I really just want to connect with you all more on a deeper level. And I feel these days like social media is so constricting and it's so limited to what I can, you know, put in words or make a cute video and everything has to be short to capture everyone's attention. And I get it. I'm on social media too. I don't often feel like I watch really long things or read through really long things on social media. I just don't think that's the right platform. But I love podcasts and I really love solo podcasts where I feel like I can get to know someone. That's really what I want this podcast to be. Those of you all that do enjoy following me on Instagram, I want to connect with you more deeply and share beyond just Instagram and share in a more personal way where it's just you and I having a conversation. Um, I think what's, you know, my whole point of of sharing this, I think, is that really that vulnerability can stop us so much from taking action. And I see it so often in my office as a therapist where we all just get obsessed with this idea that we will feel ready. We're going to feel our way or think our way out of thinking a certain way. Um, and I just totally believe in the phrase that you can't like think your way out of doing certain things. 
um, you have to act your way out of them. And for me, this was so clear in my recovery. I couldn't think my way out of my eating disorder or my addiction or my people-pleasing or my anxiety especially. I mean, I think this is a great example with anxiety. You have to take action through it. And that's uncomfortable and we don't like that. And it would be much easier if we could just think our way out of it. I think sometimes with therapy, that's what we're hoping for is that if we can think through it and talk through it with a therapist, we'll be able to think differently, right? Like if we can rationalize or try to, you know, disprove our anxiety, then we will win and we won't have anxiety anymore. If, if we can just collect enough evidence that this is wrong um, or that we, you know, that this person doesn't hate us or we're not going to get fired or this person isn't going to leave, you know, our significant other isn't going to leave us, whatever, then we will be okay. But most of the time with anxiety and with any of these things that are mental health related for sure, we actually have to take the action first. And to give you some examples of what that looks like, you know, obviously with an addiction or eating disorder, it looks like putting down the thing, right? Putting down the drink. Or it also can look like doing the first step towards that, like getting alcohol out of your house or um, telling someone that you're going to stop doing this because when we make it real to someone else – especially like a friend, family member, it can become more real for us. Um, It also can look like having a conversation. I think so much can be cleared up in communication when we're making up stories in our head that this person hates us or that person is mad at us. Initiating a conversation about it and saying something like, hey, I'm making up in my head that you're really mad at me, you know, is there any truth to that? And if this is just what you're thinking so that they can share and maybe they have, they're really busy or they have things going on or they're having a bad day, it can help us depersonalize things. If you want to change your habits, if you want to get up earlier, if you want to, you know, get a new job, if whatever these things are that you want, a lot of times we're not going to feel ready to do them. And we can't convince ourselves we'll be ready. We have to just slowly take action and then the next step shows up. I think about this a lot with when I opened my business. Um, I really didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) One of my favorite quotes that I really kind of lived by during that time is the answer to how is yes. And while this absolutely does not apply to everything, so – Please do not take this out of context. This specifically applies, I think, when you have you are able to take action, you can show up, you know your limitations, all of that. I'm not advocating for saying yes when you want to say no or are uncomfortable or anything like that. But for me, I really wanted to start this business. I didn't know how, but I knew if I showed up and I said yes, I would figure it out. And It started with, right, making a website and making business cards eventually and looking for office space 
and eventually giving notice to my employer where I worked. And it was just taking the next step. And I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what the next step was. But right when you start making a website, you realize that uh, you may need a Google Places and then you realize that you need office space, right? And then maybe you realize you need business cards with that office space printed on it. So you can't get business cards before you have that. And then you realize that you need a professional headshot. So you got to get that figured out. There are a lot of great things you can plan ahead for and make a list of, but there are lots of things that you don't know you need until you you show up, you say yes, you take that first step, and then the second, third, fourth, you know, et cetera, reveals itself to you. So I think about this a lot in terms of personal goals and, and what we want to accomplish. And sometimes the idea is you have to – I love the metaphor of you have to kind of like throw your hat over the wall. And this is a metaphor that – Apparently, I don't know if this is true, but apparently back in olden times, if someone needed to get something on the other side of a wall or a tall fence or something, they would throw something valuable over it to give them the motivation to go get it. Because if you don't have something to risk, if you don't have something to lose, it's easy to just kind of give up and not commit to doing what you want to do. So – That, I mean, throwing your hat over the wall can look different depending on what you're doing. But right for me, throwing my hat over the wall was posting on Instagram today that this podcast is definitively coming and this is the date. I can't push it back because I've told you all this is coming out on June 22nd. It can look like, you know, if you are interested in someone, it can look like asking them out. It can look like having that hard conversation It can look like quitting your job, all of those things. It's putting yourself at risk in some way. And when you put yourself out there, you inevitably figure out the next steps that you need to take to make it work. And sometimes we fail. You know, sometimes we throw our hat over the wall and we do not get our hat back. And I think that's like what's part of life and that's what's difficult and hard. But even when they don't work out, There are lessons that you can take from that experience, from putting yourself out there, from showing up. You learn about yourself, then you know new things about what you would like to do or you don't want to do or what's important to you or what you value. So I think so much of us spend so much time in analysis paralysis, just trying to think through all of our options and figure things out before we will put ourselves out there, take that risk, move forward. And instead, really the way to move forward is to lift up your foot and take that first step, as painful and vulnerable as that might be. And this leads to a really interesting concept of why your anxiety is not your intuition. And I think a lot of people can't always tell the difference between their anxiety and their intuition. And they think these thoughts saying that this might go badly, this is risky, this isn't a good idea, could be their intuition talking. And people ask me this question a lot. What's the difference, Amanda, between my anxiety and my intuition? And I think one of the best ways I can explain this is that Anxiety has a sense of um, 
fear connected with it. There is urgency connected with it. It often has this layer of like an alarm going off, like danger, danger, get out, get out, save yourself, where often our intuition is quiet. It is more this internal knowing. It isn't rushed. And it's really often not your first response to something. Like if someone says something mean to you or you see something, right, that you don't like on Instagram or social media, your heart rate may get up. You might get like what I call activated, which is I think just like a more neutral term than triggered, where you just feel your body get activated, like your heart rate increases. Maybe your breath gets shorter. Maybe, um, you know, your throat feels tight or your chest feels tight. That is like the physical activation that happens in your body. And it's really, really helpful to recognize that because emotions start as physical body sensations. And I can do a whole episode on that. I'm really, really passionate about talking about emotions. But anyway, right, that is the first step of an emotion. And that is often the first step of how you start to feel like that anxiety that comes up. And your anxiety is trying to keep you safe. It's kind of a mechanism in your brain that developed to keep you safe that then when it becomes an anxiety disorder, that's the difference between just we all have anxiety, we all have fear, we all have, you know, thoughts that try to keep us safe. That's our brain evolutionarily doing what it's supposed to do. It becomes a disorder when it starts negatively impacting your life. It prevents you from doing the things that you want to do. It prevents you from, you know, having a good relationship with friends, with family, being able to go to work, being able to live a normal kind of functioning life is when anxiety becomes a disorder. Prevents you from sleeping, eating, things like that. So, right, if we think about our anxiety isn't our intuition, we can start to take that anxiety less seriously. We can start to look at it as information rather than, um, or this, we can start to look at it as a mechanism in our brain versus the truth. And I think one thing that really can prevent us from being, having the mental health or having the life that we want to have is that we look at our, you know, brain mechanisms, our anxiety, our, our thoughts, and we look at them our emotions, we look at them like they are the objective truth. They are our truth. They are valid. But it is not always the objective truth. To give you an example, just because your anxiety tells you you're going to die if you do a presentation at work does not mean that that is true. It does not mean that you're going to die, right? Just because you feel like, you will never be ready to have this hard conversation with someone does not mean that that is necessarily true. And that's why taking action in the face of that anxiety is so much more powerful than trying to think your way out of that anxiety. Because 
What's so interesting, and I think about this a lot with clients who um, who struggle with whether to push themselves or not when it comes to self-care or things that bring up anxiety. I think they're trying to figure out the difference between what is self-care, what is us saying, no, I don't want to do this because I need to take care of myself, and then what is avoidance? I don't know if any of you all are watching or have watched um, – the show, The Ultimatum, the queer ultimatum show, um, the queer season. It just came out as I'm recording this. You don't have to have watched it to know what I'm talking about. There's a character, Ozzy, and she often, when she is in like the heat of a moment, having a confrontation with someone or having a hard conversation, she says, I'm choosing myself. I'm leaving this conversation. And she often just leaves and she leaves often for long periods of time and she won't engage in anyone giving her a different opinion or someone who is, you know, trying to bring up a hard conversation or give her feedback. And I think that people get really confused these days between what is the difference between me choosing to remove myself to take care of myself and just being avoidant. And I think this is so nuanced and so important. And this is what I will say. The problem is with avoidance, if we just avoid every situation that triggers or activates us or bothers us or causes like a bodily reaction, right, we become hypersensitive to those triggers or that feeling in our body because our body learns based on the action that we take, like removing ourselves from the situation, that that situation or those situations are not safe for us and we lose the ability to tolerate the discomfort because our brain learns, okay, the way to deal with this discomfort is to leave. This also shows up with social anxiety a lot of times. Like if you're invited to a party and before you go, you're feeling really, really anxious. So you say, okay, I'm not going to go. I'm going to cancel. You cancel and your anxiety goes away. You feel better. Your brain learns because your brain's always learning too based on what you do, based on the actions you take, based on how things go. Your brain learns, okay, the solution to my social anxiety is not to go. But here's the interesting thing. If you start going, often anxiety is most intense before we do something. And then once we get going, once we get there, once we get into the groove, our anxiety almost always lowers. Something else could happen and you may need to leave. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, you know, an event or something that you want to agree to, something that you genuinely want to do and then you feel anxious and you feel like you can't go anymore. You, Your anxiety is too much. You don't know how to make it happen. And you cancel. If you actually would have gone, your anxiety would have also reduced. And instead of your brain learning, okay, avoidance, not doing this event, not going to this gathering is the solution to my anxiety. If you go and you experience that reduction in anxiety, your brain can actually learn, oh, well, if I go and I face it and I hang out there for a little bit, my anxiety will also lower. But if we never get that distinction, if we never take that action to go and to see how it is, our brain can just build it up bigger and bigger and bigger in our head. And we never learn that our anxiety can also be lowered by exposing ourselves to this. So this is a gray area. I want to say that, right? And as I say so much in this podcast, this is all nuanced. But I hope that you can kind of see 
where this nuance is as I'm explaining it. So your brain learns through habit and repetition. And your brain either learns that avoidance is the solution to the things that you want to do, and that is what's going to keep you safe and make you feel better, or you can start to train your brain to recognize that pushing through that discomfort actually increases your discomfort, increases your threshold, and then it makes it easier to do things the next time. So that's what's so powerful about it is if you push yourself a little bit, take that little action Go to the party when you really want to go. Even if you just tell yourself, I'm going to stay for five minutes and then I can leave, right? Or this could be the same with getting up earlier, doing any habit, any hard thing that you want to do. You can tell yourself, let me just start it. Let me just go a little bit, take a small step. And if I am completely panicking and freaking out, I can stop. If you do that, then your brain starts to learn, I'm more capable, than I think I am. Because one way or another, you're either learning, I need to avoid more and more and more to deal with discomfort, or I can expand my level of discomfort. Again, I'm not advocating for doing things that you're completely uncomfortable with or anything like that. But I think in general, one thing that has been happening that I've been seeing as a pattern, I've seen it in my life, I've seen it in working with clients, is that I think Tolerance with discomfort is really, really the key to mental, like mental wellness, because otherwise we are just this hot, exposed wire that is just ready to fry and get activated by absolutely everything. There are also things that you can do to make the process easier. When you notice that activation in your body, you can. Okay, my favorite new phrase is Gen Z. I don't know if you've heard Gen Zs on TikTok say this phrase, but they say, go touch grass. And it is meant to be kind of an insult, but also people use it towards themselves, which is my favorite kind of phrase. I say it to myself sometimes when I'm getting worked up on Instagram or if I'm reading reviews of my book that I shouldn't be reading, I say, I need to go touch grass. It's like, you need to go outside. You need to step away from your devices. You need to connect with nature and the real world and get some perspective. So if you're getting really activated by something and take a break, go drink a glass of water, splash water on your face, um, go outside, literally touch grass or smell a flower, back up from this like really intense you know, digital world that we're living in and gain some perspective about things. And that's a way that we can manage our activation, increase our stress tolerance by taking care of ourselves. So I think that's the nuance, right? Is taking care of ourselves doesn't just mean we do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it and screw everyone else. It looks like this nuanced balance of expanding our stress tolerance taking care of ourselves while doing that as well. As long as we're safe and we're in a safe situation and it's something that we like actively want to do. But I think that it is so important that we do that because otherwise like life is hard and I think sometimes we forget that. We forget that life is challenging, it will always be challenging. It's not easy. And as a result, we have two choices when we accept that life is challenging. We can either try to insulate ourselves from all the challenges as much as possible, protect ourselves, not expose ourselves to anything disturbing or negative, or 
we can slowly, systematically increase our distress tolerance so that we get stronger and better at dealing with these challenges. And you have a right to choose whatever is more comfortable, like, well, not more comfortable. You have a right to choose. It's your life. You have a right to choose however you want to live. And what I would like you to consider is that you can either live a life that is expansive and you're increasing your ability to expose yourself to things or constrictive and you are trying to limit everything. But if we care about our self-confidence, our self-worth, being able, like, I cannot advocate enough for how much increasing your stress tolerance really, really helps your self-worth because you feel confident in yourself to handle things. We can't, when we're being perfectionistic, we're trying to control the world so that it doesn't bother or disturb us. We think if I'm perfect enough, I won't bo- like I won't ever be bothered. I can just avoid everything, right? I'll never get into fights with my partner. I'll never have disagreements with my friends. I'll just be so perfect that it'll never happen. And that is completely impossible because we're going to make mistakes and trying to be perfect, trying to avoid ever making mistakes is really, really unrealistic. So we can either come from that place, which I used to do for a very, very long time, or we can start to be like, okay, I know I'm going to mess up. I know that life is going to hurt. I know that there are going to be challenges and conflicts. So instead, why don't I focus on learning how to handle them better, getting stronger, increasing my stress tolerance? Life changes when you're willing to own your mistakes and grow from them. Because, for example, with this podcast, I know I'm sure at some point I'm going to say something that rubs someone the wrong way, isn't correct, isn't, you know, someone doesn't like, I I misspeak in some way. I know that's going to happen. Where if I tried to do this podcast perfectly, I would never make the podcast. I would be obsessed with writing scripts probably and going over everything I say and triple fact-checking and it would just make me so paralyzed. I would never open my mouth. I would never talk. It would be so much pressure, right? Which is what I was saying at the beginning of this conversation. And instead where I can be is I know I'm going to mess up. I'm sure you all will tell me and I will take accountability and you know apologize when I need to and I'll grow and I'll change moving forward. And that's really my promise to you in this podcast is I'm imperfect. I'm going to mess up just like all of us were human, but I'm committed to showing up and exploring this messy nuance with you, even though it's hard, even though it would be much easier for me to act like I know everything and give you these solutions and answers. But I really am craving and hoping that this is a space where we can explore nuance. To sum up, I don't think any of us are ever ready to do the things that we want to do. I don't think we'll ever feel ready. And if we wait around trying to feel motivated, trying to feel less anxious, we are not going to be able to move forward because a lot of discovery and growth actually involves taking action and then you feel motivated, then you feel more confident. So if there's something that you want to do that you're holding yourself back from doing because you're hoping you'll feel differently before taking that step, my challenge to you this week is to take a really small piece of action towards it. If you are looking to try to quit your job 
write out a copy of the email and don't send it. If you're looking to start to date, make a profile. Or if you're if you've had a profile for a really long time and you never message anyone or you never respond, respond to that first message. If you never say yes to going out on a date and you just chat right online, I know that happens to a lot of us and we never actually meet up. See if you can ask someone out or say yes to a meeting and make it really small. Be like, let's meet for coffee. Let's meet for a drink. Let's go for a walk. Do something really small and tell yourself that if you have a terrible time and you feel like you're going to die, you can leave after five minutes. You can have a friend ready to call you if you need to leave because you're so anxious. But you're never going to get that relationship. You're never going to be able to accomplish what you want to accomplish and move forward if you're not willing to take action and you're waiting for yourself to feel differently about it. And I hope that me talking through this and explaining how much my anxiety has come up and how I'm working through it is helpful. As you go to take that action, expect an increase in your anxiety, just like I've experienced an increase in my anxiety today by putting this out there and promising that I will be putting out this podcast every week. So expect that and know that is not your intuition. That is not a sign that you shouldn't take the action or that this is wrong. If it's urgent, if it's a reaction to something, it's just your anxiety trying to keep you safe. It's much easier and less risky for you to not take action on the things that are important to you because then there is no chance that you fail. I could live a life imagining I would have a podcast rather than actually taking action on it. We could imagine living a life where we had a different job instead of taking action on it. So I hope that this is a sign and this helps you as I'm working through this with you right alongside you that you can take small action towards your goals. You don't have to feel ready to. And there's a difference between your intuition and your brain trying to keep you safe. All right. We're going to get into a couple questions that you all asked, and I'm going to give you some of my answers. So the first question someone asked, what's the difference between self-sabotage and self-care? So self-care is really taking care of your future self. Often though, when I say that, people think that that means that, um, You're always trying to be better than you were before. So if you are thinking about skipping a workout, it's never self-care. But what I would say is a lot of times actually our future self might need rest. It might be, right, maybe you scheduled the workout and you didn't account for all this traffic that's going to happen and it's going to actually make you much more stressed to go than not. Then canceling in that case would also be self-care. So one of my favorite tips with this is to think through how you're going to feel at the end of doing something. So if you go to your workout class as planned, are you going to feel better? Are you going to feel more stressed? Are you maybe too tired and you should use that time to sleep? How are you going to feel after it's done, right? That initial response might be anxiousness about getting parking to go or something like that or just not feeling like it. You don't want to get dressed, whatever. But think about how you're going to feel afterwards if you go versus you don't go. And that will often give you a good answer of whether that's self-care or self-sabotage. All right, next question. I find this topic hard because I put too much pressure on myself. How do I balance giving myself grace versus challenging myself? This is a really great question that has a lot of nuance, unsurprisingly. 
So I think one of the things is when I hear the word grace, I think about giving yourself the benefit of the doubt, being kind to yourself, um, and recognizing that you're not going to be perfect as you're trying to change or as you're trying to grow. Um, And you can give yourself grace and challenge yourself at the same time because grace is really about how you talk to yourself, how you feel about yourself um, versus what you're doing necessarily. I think a lot of times when I talk about self-care, people ask me, well, I can't just you know engage in self-care because that means I'm just letting myself off the hook. And I would say that those are two different things. You can, like I just shared in that previous example, sometimes the best self-care is resting. Sometimes the challenge is resting, right? A lot of times we might, it might be hard for us to slow down. So it can also be really helpful to think about what your baseline is. Like for example, for me, I am not a morning person. I struggle a lot with getting up in the mornings, but since having a child, uh, I need to get up in the mornings. But also it is like the one time of day that I actually can guarantee that I'll be able to fit in like a quick walk or movement or something like that. And so it's been really challenging for me to get up and commit to that. So I haven't been forcing myself to do it every day. If I have days that don't end up happening, I'm giving myself grace. Or maybe if I don't feel like working out, I stretch instead and I'm still doing something. So I'm giving myself grace while also challenging myself at the same time. So I think the grace is really a mindset. And I think it's also really important. A lot of times people feel like they need to earn grace or they need to deserve grace. And what I would like to tell you is that you don't need to earn grace. Everyone deserves grace. Everyone deserves kindness, especially in regards to our self-talk. So instead of trying to beat yourself up into changing, which is not effective and doesn't work, by the way, that's often where it actually becomes self-sabotage and it actually becomes where we have to rebel against ourselves because we set way too high of a goal. Instead, I would come from the perspective of being kind of like a gentle, loving parent to yourself, right? Like a parent may make a child go to bed because it's what's best for them tomorrow, even if it's not fun in the moment. But a gentle parent is also going to be really kind and compassionate to the child and say, hey, like I know that it sucks. I know that you may want to stay up, but I'm going to support you and challenge you and going to sleep tonight because I know that it's what's best for you. All right. And the final question, what are some small steps I can take if anxiety has shrunk my world? So it's always hard for me to answer the exact this exact question because it really depends on what anxiety has taken for you and where you would like to be. So I would start for yourself with thinking about where you would like your life to be and where it is now. Or maybe what did you used to be able to do that you would like to be able to do again? For example, if you were someone who used to travel and go on trips by yourself on an airplane and now you don't travel at all and you don't really leave your house very much, a really small step might be practicing going somewhere alone, like going to a coffee shop alone and sitting there for a few minutes before you leave. Um, If it is more about the actual transportation, like 
you know, airplanes or um, something like that. It might be that you need to practice driving first before you practice getting on an airplane if you're someone who hasn't been driving that much anymore. You might need to enlist a friend. You might need to give yourself kind of a way out of taking a small step but knowing that if after a few minutes, if it's too intense, you can leave. But because this is such an individual like nuanced topic, if this is something where you feel like anxiety has really shrunk your world or you also have like behaviors that you're doing to deal with your anxiety, like you have potentially some OCD, I would highly recommend working with a trained therapist who specializes in something called exposure response prevention, ERP. And these therapists are trained to slowly and systematically work on this exposure so that you build your confidence and you get you allow your world to start opening up again and they know the exact right pace so that it won't overwhelm you, it won't cause self-sabotage, it won't make it too difficult and they know how to pace you so that you can go forward. So, I will link that in the show notes if you can. I highly recommend that. I hope that this was helpful and I'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening. To suggest an episode topic or support my work, visit amandaewhite.com. If you're interested in getting therapy for my practice, visit therapyforwomencenter.com. We're based in Philadelphia, but we have therapists serving 27 states across the country. 